welcome to Dragonheart. It's uh, going to be a different one this week, a bit more of a makeshift one because Mark's ill. And I thought I'd just quickly run through the two games that we last had, Stockport and Halifax. Two very, very different games. Uh, so yeah, I'll have a quick chat with you about that. And then I'll have a quick chat with you about my experience as a cameraman for the Stockport game, the BT Sport highlights. So yeah, leading into the Stockport game, we needed a reaction really. Uh, we just didn't beat, in my opinion, the worst two ways you possibly could be the better side against Notts County in my opinion and we lost to a last minute winner against Torquay so we really need reaction we had we had some new players come in for that game we had Marsh Brown who's a Guyana international Sang who I didn't really know anything about and Omiato who um, Omateo however you say it and the only thing I knew about him was that he had an MMA fight uh, which he lost if it could amateur MMA fight, so yeah, that was quite interesting. And um, the Stockport game as a whole was really interesting, really, because for me, I couldn't really watch the game properly because I was a cameraman. I've never done it before, so I'd like to say thanks to the media team for giving me that opportunity. And um, yeah, it was a really unique experience learning how to zoom in and talk to the BT um, engineers on their side while they were editing it for their highlights show in the evening and um, yeah it was really good but I couldn't really concentrate on the game I certainly couldn't make notes because I was having to follow the ball for the whole 90 minutes and that, that's all it, all it was so I actually really struggled to concentrate on the game it was, it was one of the strangest, strangest and bizarre things I've ever come across I, I finished the game I walked out and I didn't really have an opinion on it because I couldn't really concentrate. Um, but it was just one of those things I had to step in and help out wherever I could, really. But, you know, for the first 13 minutes, we, we pressed okay. We, we had some chances. Dior Angus had a chance. Um, we we looked alright, I wouldn't say we looked amazing, but we were going toe-to-toe -to -toe for them, I think we were going toe-to-toe -to -toe for, for most of the game, but, you know, they had a big hoof up in the air off the keeper, um, which landed a bit awkwardly, maybe Kelleher was fouled, maybe he wasn't, maybe he should have been a bit stronger, uh, but it landed to Alex Reed, who then slotted it in, past French as well, so... It's it's one of them. It's a bit of a sloppy goal to give away, but you could see Wrexham's heads went down and Stockport really got into the game and they they really controlled it for parts of it. And then their second goal, Wrexham played around the back. Uh, Kelleher played it out, and it was you know it was a rare bad game for him. And it was a rare bad game for the defence. Uh, Stockport picked it up found at the edge of the box, they played the ball to Alex Reed. he scored again, the ex-Rexham man would come to really haunt us this day, well, all the ex-Rexham players came to haunt us, uh, really, and, you know, we had, a, we, had a, we had other chances, we had a few corners in the second half, from what I can remember, um, but the second goal, ultimately, the third goal, sorry, come from a corner, which 
led out, and then it was fell out to one to one, one on one with the keeper. And we saw Johnson had to do something, in my opinion. So you might as well just go in for a tackle. You're two 0 down anyway. Uh, yeah. It was a penalty. It was a quite clear penalty. John Rooney slotted another ex-Rexman player slotted it in. Nil against the playoff rivals, and uh, as I said, we just come, come from two two games against playoff rivals where well, maybe we should have won, we should have won at Notts County, we the better side. Uh, but I think injuries really hampered us that game. And um, Torquay, yeah, it was one of them. It was a bit of a rubbish game, a uh, bit boring. Uh, wasn't the best game ever, but. It, I probably would have taken a draw, and I think we merited a draw that game. In all fairness, um, yeah, and we lost to a last-minute goal, so it was pretty, pretty bad to be fair. But leading to the Halifax game, I was pretty scared to be honest. I was a bit worried, a bit anxious because the way we've been playing at the moment, and I know Halifax are a class side. They have Summerfield, who I really rate. He's a fantastic middle of the park, centre field, creative player, um, yeah they're a really really good side and I was really, we were really really needing a reaction to get our season back on track because I think if we had a, another bad loss at Halifax I, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans be thinking that that's definitely our season over now. I'm Luke Young and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show. the game I was in work I checked the the, ele uh, the 11 before the game and we had we had some it was an odd lineup it wasn't really one I really expected um, you know Kelleher Pearson playing together and I don't think we've and French I don't think we've seen that centre-back partnership I could be wrong so far this season and um, yeah, I was a bit anxious about that because I didn't really think Kelleher and Pearson work would work well together. But I was I was completely wrong, and you know Rutherford playing up front, not up front, just behind the the strikers. I was a bit anxious about that because he's not played regular football this season. Uh, but he proved me wrong as well. Um, yeah. I was I was a bit anxious all oh I'm French playing right wing back for Resol Johnson as well, you know. I thought we lost a lot of attacking threat without Resol Johnson, but again, I was wrong again. Uh, but hey ho, we, we were I thought we were absolutely excellent straight off the get-go. Um, yeah, and this is some of the most positive football I've seen from the town this season, first half. I thought we were plenty of chances, we could have won 6 or 7 nil in the first half. Uh, we won a corner off an excellent Rutherford strike, um, it came in, uh, Davis scores his second header this season, uh, excellent, excellent header, 1-0 up early on, brilliant, um, really happy with that, just the reaction we needed, we were playing some really nice football in between. Uh, the second goal, Keller with the long ball, which landed quite low for Omateo, and it was a really awkward ball for him to deal with, in my opinion. He 
with a beautiful crouching header flicked onto Dior Angus. He slotted it in 2 0 up early on. And uh, very, very ha happy with that, in all fairness. Uh, and then the third goal. Jordan Davis, who I've got to say was absolutely on fire, it was probably for me the best performance in the Wrexham shirt I've seen this season. And then Nathan Clark, who had the ball, they were playing it around the back, Halifax, and just as I said, in between the two goals, Halifax had their chances, they were giving us a good game, they're a quality side. Nathan Clark, their centre half, played a poor ball, which landed Davis. He, dribbled halfway through the pitch, took it round the keeper, slotted it in excellently. Brilliant, absolutely excellent. Very, very happy with that. We're 3-0 up. Uh, it's before half-time. That's pretty much, in my opinion, probably the game over. Uh, excellent, really. Uh, the fourth goal. Sorry, yeah, the fourth goal as well. For me, goal of the season, it, it come off, it did come off a corner from my my recollection or a ball in. Omateo was making a nuisance for himself. Um, Halifax won the ball. Uh, then it was headed out by one of their defenders, which fell to Jordan Davis. He touched it, hit it on the half, hit it on the half volley, and wow, what a strike! We we haven't seen that from much long range strikes from him this season. He capped off his, his, his first hat-trick for Rex, I believe, and he it was the first hat-trick in the first half since Juan Yagate against uh, Stockport away, and that was my first ever away day, so that was quite nice to hear. Uh, Jordan Davis absolutely electrifying that, get, that day. Um, three really different types of goals. He influenced the pitch. He sprayed the ball well, and that, really well, and that third goal, was absolutely excellent. The second goal was brilliant. Wrexham, Wrexham go into the, the second half with not really much to do. We won 4-0. We could just sit back and chill. And it, it was it was absolutely excellent. So really, really happy with the Reds after that game. So it was two completely different performances within the space of a week. Um, I'd just like to say a few things. I think Calhoun Pearson played really well and Carrington played really well together and I didn't really expect that because um, you know the Kelho and Pearson the two stopper type centre half uh, so I wasn't really expecting a fan <laughs> to be honest with you I wasn't really expecting that to work um, Rutherford played excellent he was energetic he was all over the place he was here he was there uh, Diorangus was brilliant. I think Diorangus could have got a hat trick. He had he had so many chances. He, he was excellent. And Omateo, Gold Omateo, he's exactly the thing the striker we needed. Um, someone who can hold the ball up for Diorangus. I think Diorangus struggles on his own up front. Um, I thought he was brilliant. And yeah, it was a fantastic game for us. Um, Great leading into a tough game against Woking on Saturday, and I think we're back in the playoffs. So we we need to keep this charge going now. Let's hope we get on another run and more positive performances. Uh, this is Che. Um, 
thanks for listening sorry again it's a bit of a makeshift dragon heart this week uh, it is what it is Mark's ill um, but yeah thank you very much I'm Riesel Johnson and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show. Oh, thank you, Che. Uh, hi, it's Mark here. Just briefly, I've not passed my fitness test, but I've been okay to put in about 90 seconds off the bench. <laughs> um, I think doing the commentary on the Halifax game took a little bit out of me. I was in quite a lot of pain for the next two days and I went to my dentist to ask why. And you heard that phrase you don't want to hear very often. I can see the bone. Uh, Oh, that could be misinterpreted. I'm sorry, I brought the tone down. Anyway. Brilliant work by Che to go through those two matches. Oh, I'm gutted I wasn't able to talk about the Halifax match. (laughs) Not so gutted about the Stockport match, to be honest. But anyway, to round off Dragonheart, here's a bit of a special treat. Who's the only Canadian to play for Wrexham? Why? It's Don Ferguson, a Canadian international keeper who played for us in the mid-80s. Absolutely lovely bloke. And I caught up with him to have a chat about his time at Wrexham. So, here is Don Ferguson. I'm Kerry Evans and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. Well, Don, firstly, thank you so much for joining us. There's so many different things I'd love to to bring up uh, with you. I've got to say, starting off, you you, you first started Rex in 1986. Yes. But um, it, it sounds to me like you, you're a man who likes to act on his initiative. You you made big efforts to get out there uh, and play in, in Britain and other places. Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny. With, with the national program, we've been training, I guess, since the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was told, because uh, that was a World Cup year. And Canada, that was Canada's the only time they qualified for the World Cup. <laughs> And uh, he said, listen, you're going to have to play somewhere to get recognition and uh, see if you can get pulled into the squad. So I went over, uh, I had a friend, uh, a friend of ours who uh, had a soccer school in, in the London area. He says, tell you what, come and work. I'll work with you. And if I feel that you're, you're good enough, he said, I'll get you trials. So I said, beautiful. It was awesome. Yeah. So I went over, I did well in, in his training sessions. He set me up at Luton. Yeah which again was the first division team then. It was a good, very good squad. And uh, I guess I come in and I, I, I ended up with a, a couple of opportunities. Um, it's the old Roy of the Rover story. Um, I guess uh, Andy Dibble, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you're, you're quite uh, familiar. Yeah. Uh, he was the keeper and uh, Les Seeley was the backup. Oh, gosh. And uh, Les Seeley, it was a, a centenary match. It was with Watford. Um, it was a hundredth year of, uh, of Luton, of Luton town. So uh, he ended up, um, it was, uh, it was Les Seeley was actually handing out all the gifts for, it was a youth team game, a women's game, and then the first team. And so Les Seeley after the women's game handed out the trophies and all the medals and everything and, and left. So we're watching the warm up. I'm up in the crowd and I look up and I went, Dibs just pulled his hamstring. Like, oh he's holding the back of his hamstring. And I'm thinking, Okay, it's no big deal. Let's see Leo play. <laughs> so one of the young apprentices runs up into the sands and says, uh, Don, you got to come down. And of course, being Canadian, they thought, ah, oh, we'll take the Mickey out of him. You know? <laughs> so I thought, get out of here. Go away. So I told him to take, take off. So he runs down the stairs and runs back up about five minutes later. He goes, honestly, you have to come down. He says, 
you don't have to play. You just got to sit on the bench just in case dibs can't. Yeah. I said, oh, okay, no big deal. So I go, I'm sure enough, I go into the, the dressing room and there's a uniform waiting for me. So I put it on. He goes, don't worry, you know, relax and stuff. I said, no problem. I run down the tunnel and all I could hear from the fans is, who the hell's that? Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. So I ended up, I walk out the tunnel and David pleads the manager. He says, uh, you're in. I went, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you're in. He says, Dibs has got to come out. He's pulled his hammy. I said, oh, my gosh. So I did the fastest warm-up in in, in in a lifetime. I, like, I warmed up in like two seconds. And uh, and now coming into the game, the trialist, Don Ferguson. And everybody's going, like, it's one of those, like the real, like a golf clap, a real slow clap. So uh, I was going, oh, my God, here, what am I doing? So first of all, I, right off the bat, I have a shot. I tip it over. I tip it around the bar. And everybody's going, okay. So it's not a full clap yet. But it's that one still, it's almost like a, like, oh, yeah, that's not bad. That's okay. So we're playing against, so John Barnes is actually playing against, uh, for Watford at that time. So we do have a good, good a half time. I come back in. He says, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. I said, oh, great. So right off the bat, John Barnes has a free kick right on the edge of the 18-yard box and smacks one right in the top corner on me. And I had, uh, it was Mitchell Thomas, I think, was the fullback. He looks at me and I excuse my language. He goes, "What in goal?" He says. He looks at me and he just so because I was already pissed off. I was pissed off getting scored on, right? And he goes, "Don't worry, we'll get this back for you." And sure enough, sure enough, bang! And we uh, we go back down, score, and it, the game ends one one. I'm like over the moon. So from that point forward, David Pleat he liked me because I jumped in and into the foray and uh, I did well. It was actually it was awesome. And that, that, I mean, that, that's a great Luton team. I mean, that, that really is peak Luton, the mid-80s. Yes. You've, you've named half the players I used to get in my sticker books. <laughs> it's yes. interesting, that one game. They, um, so so you, when you move on from there, I mean, you're going to get good recommendations for performing well at that level, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that was the thing. He actually put me on. He says, listen, I have a friend in Wales uh, with a team called Wrexham. He says, would you be interested in going out? And I said, uh, sure. I said, it'd be great. It was right. Uh, it was just after Christmas. I think at the time I'd stayed with my, uh, the, the family I was staying with had Christmas with them right after I took a uh, bus up and took up the Wrexham. And I'm trying to remember the, the it was actually Randy Keane was the keeper. Was it not? Didn't that, he come into the first team? Mike Keane. Yes. Mike Keane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And then he came in and it was a new year's Eve, new year's day game. And he goes up for a ball and gets mm. cracked into the post. And hurts his back. And this is like within days of me getting there. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in the squad. It was it was actually, they ended up getting my work permit pretty quick in, in, in Wales. And uh, I was in the squad. It was awesome. Yeah. And I remember your first game was at Crew. I remember seeing you, this big Crew, yeah. spidery figure in goal, a terrific reach. Um, yeah. And the other thing I recall of that game was a bizarre incident where we scored and the referee disallowed it so we could have a penalty as well. So it was a, sort of a bit of an odd introduction for you to, to that level of football. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was quite a, uh, uh, and sort of an acclimation into the game quickly. So it was, uh, I think, one of the first times I went up for a ball, I got cracked, I got hammered by one of the, the centre forward. And I'm yelling at the referee and he looks at me, he goes, don't worry, son. He goes, welcome to Britain. 
I don't want so I knew what I was up against from that point forward, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And a pitch, a crew pitch in January, I suspect wouldn't have been very welcoming. I mean, even if you're used to a Canadian winter, I still think that yeah. some of those pitches would have been actually, hard work. Was that? Well, I think it's pretty cold there right now, is it not? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But nothing, nothing, so, nothing like you guys get, to be fair. No, <laughs> but I think that was one of the coolest winters I think we'd had in a while as well. And uh, a lot of frozen pitches. And I think we played one game, I'm trying to remember who we played against, but there's only four games played in Britain on that day. And we were, of course, one of them. I think in the Daily Mail, there was a picture of me coming down for a ball with my foot up in the air and all this snow flying up in the air. And I think the, the heading was Snow Joke or something like that. So. <laughs> well, you got injured quite early on as well. And then when you came back, you, you had... Uh... The sort of game Wrexham fans dream of, you know, heroics at Tranmere in the local derby. So you, yes. you, you had this very strange start there as well. Exactly. It was, again, uh, Dixie was the coach, Dixie McNeil. And he told me that uh, the player manager for Tranmere at that time was Frank Worthington. Yeah. And he says, listen, I tell you, Frank gets a penalty. He's probably going to go this side. I said, what do you mean probably he's going to go this side? And he goes, well, you never know at the time. He says, well, but I would, I would guess this way. So sure enough, I stopped Frank Worthington in the penalty, and I was like, I was over the moon. And I think that's when the fans sort of got behind me as well. I think uh, they had the, the local fans who traveled to all the games, and uh, anytime I met them in, in the town square, they'd all come up and talk, talk to me about football. It was awesome. Fantastic. I, I, I can't let you get away with uh, your modest description there of that penalty. I mean, Frank Worthington is one of the great 70s iconic British footballers, you know, in, in the yeah. style of George Best and, and Stan Bowles and that, that Alan Hudson. He was a class act. Yeah. Uh, that, that must have felt fantastic to be to stop a penalty oh. from him. <laughs> is, yeah, exactly. I, I, you should see the information I read up on Frank Worthington after that point as well. So <laughs> it was, uh, everybody, everybody was telling me how great this player was. And I'm going, oh, I was, it, was, it was an exciting moment in my career. Still one of the best moments in my career. Oh, but yeah, fantastic. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the current situation at Wrexham a bit little later, because, of course, you are the only Canadian to have played for Wrexham. I was double-checking my facts. We've had a player since who was born in Canada, but but isn't Canadian. He moved out back to Britain when he was a, a little baby, so he doesn't count. Okay. Um, no, he considers himself a, a Yorkshireman, so he doesn't count. Um, and I was going to ask you about that later, but I will just say just now, then, because you mentioned the fans, that, I mean, certainly uh, Rob McElhenney and, and Ryan Reynolds have been very keen to talk about how well, they recognise the sort of passion of the fans, yes. and there's also perhaps an uh, sort of implication in what they say that um, you maybe don't get quite that same connection sometimes in North American sports. I, I think British people see it that way. I'm not so sure. I've seen the Stanley Cup regular riots and things like that. I'm not so sure the passion's not there. But you know, was it a surprise for you to see just how keen people in Wrexham are about the game? It was actually, and, and and you could see it was a living, it was sort of that live and die with the team, yeah. and uh, that's what it was all like. I had conversations, and uh, you know, I'd go to the pub for a beer and uh, relax, and uh, a few of them would come up and tell me stories and tell me stories about the history of the team, and yeah. uh, it was actually great because uh, I was I was on my own basically in yeah. in Wrexham, 
when I first moved there and uh, uh, it was a great sort of acclimation to the, to the, to the, to the area and to the team. And uh, it's a beautiful part of the country. I loved, I loved Wrexham. I love the, uh, the surrounding area and uh, uh, kind of missed it actually after a while. So. Oh, we, uh, we'd have to get you back over for the first match that Ryan Reynolds can get over for, won't we? <laughs> he, can, he can fly in his private jet over to the match, I reckon. The, um, there you go. There you go. Sorry, again. I was going to say with a bottle of Aviator Gin with him. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, very good. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, is there any other type of gin? Sorry, I'm contractually obliged to say that. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, you... Um, as well, it's always interest, also interests me because, I mean, the 80s, a time of real depression in Britain and a time of real depression in football. And yeah. I, I'm fascinated you know, at the sort of impact that the passion of the fans had on you because, you know, if you get all our average uh, attendances for each season in our existence, the 10 lowest are the 10 years of the 80s. And it's interesting okay. because, you know, obviously... You see that and you see that the crowds are really depressed even compared to now when we're at a lower level. Um, but that passion and the passion of the away supporters obviously was still coming through really clearly for you. Yeah. And it was funny. Uh, I guess I befriended quite a few of them and uh, I ended up leaving tickets for a few. Uh, and uh, they, they thought that was the world. I, I, I'd given them the world just by living a couple of tickets for uh-huh. a couple of... And uh, you know what? And uh, I think they were, they were sort of... Uh, uh, they helped me along my way. They, they, to the, to the adjustment as well. So it was, it was actually a fun time, a lot of fun. And, and when you came back from injury, you played that Tramia game, and then you became yeah. something quite rare in that season for us, a regular goalkeeper, because you then did play through the rest of the season, didn't you? Because yeah. before that, we were getting injuries hand over fist. Yeah, I think the game I got injured was against Blackpool in the cup, and. Uh, I ended up coming up for a ball and the guy went right through me. And uh, I think I had, a, at that time, concussions were not the, uh, the, in, the end game and not a lot of people knew anything about concussions. I think I had a, I had a doozy after that game. So, Oh, gosh. It, was, um, it must have been, I assume, frustrating that, that having been the regular keeper, you didn't get a chance then to stay, stay on at Wrexham. Yeah, it was funny. At the end of the season, I thought I had a good opportunity to stay. And... Uh, I think uh, Dixie Dixie was saying that he wanted a a, a what did he say an experienced keeper somebody who had played in the league for a few years I think because the fourth division at that time was known for its older pros and sort of up and coming players was it not that was sort of the adjustment of of, of fourth division football and uh, so it was guys that uh, really wanted to make a name for themselves and guys who thought they still had the name yeah, yeah. so. And we had we had some great players on that team too, you know, like uh, Barry Horn, who yeah, who yeah. did a lot of the tele, telecast and everything, and a lot of the color for a lot of the games here in Canada. So that was kind of nice to hear his voice again. Right? <laughs> I, I, I I should say that he did bring in an experienced goalkeeper there, and a very good goalkeeper in Chris Pierce, who had spent most of his time at Burnley. And ironically, after about half a season, he broke down with a back injury. And we were back in the same situation of swapping goalkeepers around, ironically. So, yeah. shame we didn't have give me a call. I was there. I would, I would have been there. Yeah? Oh. <laughs> You're saying about the players as well you played with. I've, I've got to make a confession as a kid. Jim Steele was my hero. I used to yeah. the fact that he would do to other side's goalkeepers what that crew player did to you. Um, you know, what were players, you know, players like him, uh, you know, were they... 
what were they like as teammates? What were they? What do they feel like to be on the team of, of star players like them? Well, I guess at Luton Town they had Mick Hartford there as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was one of my first training sessions. I think I stayed for a second session in the afternoon. Mick was coming back from from injury, and uh, he said, "Okay, don't worry. Mick's going to be taking some shots on you, and uh, we'll just put some crosses in. He'll head a few." His headers were probably harder than most guys could shoot. I think <laughs> at that time it was it was incredible to see the power that he garnered on on going up for a header and and coming through. He was it was that's great. And then when I went to Rexham, I thought Jim Steele was the same same sort of character mm-hmm. and uh, unbelievable in the air and. Uh, I tell you what, it was tough to go up. Like we didn't have a lot of training sessions where there was physical contact, but uh, I was always conscious of where he was if in a training session. So put it that way. Like like Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was all it was all elbows and <laughs> coming through. It didn't matter. I would I think he would put the head on anybody. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I always suspected he had more than two elbows, but I couldn't quite work out how. <laughs> well, I think they were, they were moving so fast, it just looked like there was more. Yeah. And then, of course, in front of you, uh, we had some good defenders, but injury-prone defenders. I mean, Mike Williams, Jack Kay, they, they were good players, but we, we constantly were having to sort of make do and mend and switch other players around and the full-backs as well. It must be difficult for you to be you're coming into a new club, ostensibly a, a sort of new football culture and a new style yeah. of football, and then it's hard to get relationships going because the injuries were flying around that year like, like crazy. I think Jackie, Jackie took me under his wing. He was, uh, he was awesome. He would say a lot of times, he would just tell me, listen, let, let me take everything, anything outside the box in that area, let me take it. I'll take, I'll take every, I'll clear everything. You stay there and you make the second save. And I think that sort of calmed me down uh, in my, I guess my early days there. And uh, he really made uh, an impression on me. I thought he was one of the, the best players, best center backs that I'd played with. Yeah. Uh, the other center back was, uh, was um, Frank Jones. Yeah, was Joey, yeah. Jones, Joey Jones, little brother, was it not? So, and uh, he was a different character. I think he, I don't know if he had uh, any touch at all. <laughs> and, but uh, but again, he would uh, he would throw his body in front of anything, block anything, and uh, uh, again, we had some some good some good players there with a lot of heart, and that, and that was uh, that was great to see. There were some real characters that you played with. That Di Davis, of course, came back uh, yep. just in Welsh Cup games. Yeah, that must have been very interesting just to work with him. It was well. Uh, my my job was to stay behind the net and listen to him and. Uh, Acknowledge what he was uh, was teaching me. He was actually yelling stuff to me, and hey, this is what you should do in this situation. And uh, I think I ended up. I always thought I was I was vocal, but I think I was a little bit more vocal after listening to him. He was uh, he was quite the character and quite the uh, the drill the drill sergeant. I would say awesome. that would be a, yeah, that'd be a nice way to put it. So Very high I don't think anybody, yeah, I don't think anybody would have. Um, uh, would have uh, steered him wrong, so he would have told him so. Yeah, exactly, and the sort of mentality which our current manager talks about a lot of expecting a lot of yourself and expecting yep. the same of the people around you, and 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 that sort of uh, attitude is is going to lead to success, isn't it? I think. Yeah, exactly. A couple of good results lately, so they've done well. Absolutely, they're they're, they're picking up. I, I, I I'm sure you'll see from seeing football all around the world that. The, the circumstances of COVID for, in so many ways, I think, have made football a little bit more random than usual. There are lots more inconsistencies amongst players and teams, and it feels like our entire division is inconsistent. Yeah. But we seem to be gelling, um, and I'm quite pleased with what we're looking like at the moment. It's, it's good stuff, but of course, 
I've got to bring up the uh, the obvious thing, which is we've uh, we've had a bit of a, a bit of a takeover <laughs> just yes. the last last few months. Um, now, of course, does that mean that the media beat uh, a path to your door as our one past Canadian player? <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny. Only uh, uh, one of the outlets here, it's uh, our Toronto our Toronto paper, Toronto Star, uh, sent uh, did an article with me uh, just just after the the news of the the takeover. And uh, asked me a couple of questions because he said he sort of delved into it the same way you did. Say, listen, I, I noticed that you're the only Canadian, and mm-hmm. told a few stories. And uh, uh, I think if uh, if you want to check into that, I can give you some information later. But uh, but uh, it was actually a good article. He was he enjoyed it. He just said, listen, I'd love to do this again and talk about uh, some old war stories with you about football. And, uh, and so yeah, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do that interview and uh, talk about Wrexham again. So. I mean, from from our perspective here, I guess the the obvious thing we we would want to ask is, has that created a, a stir over in Canada? You know, our people say, "Wow, Ryan Reynolds bought a, a soccer team." Is, is that is that how it feels over there? It seems to be. I know uh, with social media, especially, I think it's it's been out there uh, for quite a while, and uh, he's he's known for his social media uh, sort of uh, quips and quibs. He just he loves to loves to get up with him and his wife uh, Blake Lively. So they love to do a little few things, and especially him being the actor he is, uh, he seems to to adjust with little bits from his his acting career to what he's doing now and stuff. So it's it's nice to see that he's actually on full bore as well. So I'll tell you the thing which pleases me because I, I I'm a cynic actually um and i liked having the fan ownership because twice in the 10 years before the fans took over we nearly went out of business and at least you know with the fans that they won't suddenly turn on the club or take assets away you know you're safe there and so uh, my attitude until i heard of this takeover was i I don't want to take over because why why would someone take over exum it's not an investment it makes no sense usually people come in with ill intentions, it, it, the moment the club owned the ground, people wanted yeah. to buy the club because then they could just kick the club out and build on the ground. The moment the club didn't own the ground, all of a sudden, all those suitors left, and I thought that spoke volumes. But this is the, this does look hopefully just like that fairy tale thing because wonderfully yeah. they genuinely do seem to be saying we want to pick up a project and help it. Um, and something that's massively pleasing for me the fans really made the club a community club. There's so much good work done for the community and their attitudes, um, both Ryan and Rob seems to be, they want to supersize that. So they were already yeah. said they'd be putting more funding in for the people there who work um, uh, with disabled people who work in, in women's football, which is, we, we've started up, but uh, you know, it'll get a big boost now. We've also yeah. done things in the community. And I just think that's a, it's fantastic to have people taking over with that as 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 much of an important thing for them as getting promoted. I think I just read recently that they, they actually paid uh, uh, some of the workers as well uh, for mm. from part of the the COVID shutdown of mm. last year. They paid the wages back, and uh, and I thought that was uh, was an interesting proposition. I think that's. Uh, that's something that you can see that maybe they, maybe they will delve, delve deeper and 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 uh, and bring Wrexham back to where it should be, right? And back and in, back into in league football. So, yeah, a lot of people are getting very excited about what they could do. Um, yeah, I I, I think in, in realistic terms, they, they they mainly want to bring us back into the football league, 
but they'd like to take us further, but I don't think they see themselves as having the resources to turn us into a premiership team. Some people, I think, think we're going to be in Real Madrid in four years' time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all your face suffer quite badly. Uh, <laughs> Catalonian independence takes off and end up flying to the League of Wales. <laughs> but you never know with teams like Bournemouth and teams like that that, that yeah, have come yeah. through. The, I mean, they uh, that that was a, a, like a success story itself. So, well, right? I mean, you're but, quite right, and and as well, I mean, think back to your time here <laughs> as a, a as a fan, you're sort of still getting to know the game at that time. Yep. Uh, I I viewed and in my head it's still there. Teams like Wigan, who've won the FA Cup and been in the Premier League, Bournemouth, like yep. you said, um, as smaller teams than us, because they've risen beyond us since. Or oh, Blackpool, you mentioned Blackpool. Yep. Blackpool have been up in the Premier League twice since then. It's uh, there's there's got to be potential, isn't there, for a club yeah, like us to, to play right. a bit more. And that's what it's all about, is it not? Like, I mean, there has to be the potential to to see the potential first of all, and uh, and put your money behind it, and. Um, and back it, and, and that's the key. I think that's again, you're that's what you're talking about with the fans. They want to see that backing and that that, that success uh, through with the with the franchise itself. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. The um, I, if I could just mention just to tell you quickly as well, but the furlough and the, the payments yep. of the, the players, um, this has gone down very well with independent observers of the game because there are some teams in our league who have used this scheme essentially, yep. to lay off players. So in order to improve their squad, they've essentially sacked some players by putting them on furlough yep. and have then bought more players in, which is clearly not the intention of the scheme. And so an awful lot of people have been pointing us out and saying, well, we've just paid everybody the every penny they should have got back. Uh, yep. And that's the idea of you know, what you should be doing as a responsible business owner. So it's nice to feel that sort of sense of pride that a club's doing the right thing. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see, actually. Very nice to see. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, honestly, I've just got to say, Don, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to talk to you. It really has been. Um, as I said to you off air before, and I enjoyed watching you play. And uh, it's, it's just been, it's just been brilliant to chat about players from that era who were formative for me as a Wrexham fan as well. Um, I, I, just a final question. I mean, what, what happened afterwards? What are you up to now? Well, it's funny. I left. I left Wrexham. I ended up uh, flying into Vancouver, as we talked about it previous. And uh, we, uh, I went in with the World Cup squad just prior to uh, them leaving for Mexico. So, of the squad of 23, 24 players, I came in and uh, I basically flew in. I think I flew in that night. Arrived in Vancouver. Uh, I think it was seven in the morning, and I was on the field for nine o'clock session. So I was, uh, it was a lovely. I was tell you, I was a very tired boy. So but, uh, Tony Waiters at that time was, you remember Tony Waiters who played for mm-hmm. England, I think, at that time, and he was the manager at that time. So uh, a former goalkeeper as well. So you see a lot of us goalkeepers around, and I mean, I, I think a lot of them make good coaches because they see the field for what it is. Yeah. They see everything in front of them, and uh, and that's uh, that's what I've been doing. I think. Uh, since then, we the Canadian League started up just after that. Uh, a lot of pros come in from another another fellow named Mike Williams, who was actually in the squad, I think, at Wrexham at one time. So uh, he ended up playing with us in Ottawa for for a season and two, and uh, I think he enjoyed his time there. So uh, it was a fun time. They were four or five years, and then uh, I started coaching right after that, and 
as you can tell from this, I coach at uh, the university level and uh, with club level. Uh, now we have uh, semi-pro teams and stuff that are involved. We have uh, at the university we've now t- we've now have a franchise that we'll be uh, looking at starting this summer. Hopefully, with all the COVID, uh, we haven't had a lot of football in the last little while because of the the COVID restrictions. But hopefully, soon we'll have something. So it, it's a, it's a blow, isn't it? I mean, COVID obviously is a blow, but especially because Canadian football was looking to take big steps forward. It's just a time when this has come in and then shut things down to an extent, isn't it? Yeah, it has, and it's it's football everywhere right now. I think uh, I even have my own little goalkeeper academy as well that uh, I've been running, and I haven't been able to do that. So it's uh, it's been a it's been a it's probably the longest I've ever been off. I think it's three months now. I think I've been off, and it's probably the longest I've actually gone without kicking a ball. So I'm I'm looking to get back at it and uh, and start kicking the ball around as well. Oh well, I hope you're able to do that soon. I've got to ask you about one of my goalkeeping prejudices here as well, actually, because I. I'm a field goalkeeper, and so when I'm commentating, I'm constantly. I don't think there's such a thing. I don't think there's such a thing as a failed goalkeeper. I think anybody that puts the puts the gloves on and stands <laughs> between the sticks, I think you're, uh, uh, they have something good going for them. So, I respectfully disagree, and I'd suggest that I'm the exception that proves the rule. Um, okay. but anyway, um, I, I, I'm always arguing with people uh, because I, my, my, I, I need you to help me with this. Am I right or am I wrong? I think that really. Only goalkeepers understand goalkeepers. Um, and a number of times, I'll be commentating with somebody and they'll say, that's an amazing save. And I'll say, no, it's not. Actually, it's quite straightforward. Yeah. Or the opposite. You know, so yeah. like, that, that's really difficult to get down to. That that's, didn't look spectacular, but it's brilliant. Um, and I think that sometimes happens with managers, I think, because, as you say, a goalkeeper is well-suited to be a, a coach, I think, because, like you said... You're controlling the players in front of you on rods. You're organising the entire team. And yet, it doesn't seem to me that many managers were goalkeepers. And right. I often look at a, a manager's decisions over goalkeepers and think, why on earth have they chosen that guy ahead of the much better guy in my eyes? Um, yep. am, I, am I right to say that really only goalkeepers properly understand goalkeepers? Or is it just me trying to be arrogant and put people down? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you're half wrong. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, it's funny how I've a lot of the coaches I think I've been around with uh, throughout the years. I think they've uh, they've been involved with the game. I think uh, in Canada now with our licensing the way it is, there's a lot of a lot of people who are are licensed at a high level, but have never played the game mm-hmm. and never really seen the game for what it is. I think once you do that, and especially as a keeper, the keeper is a it's a very difficult position, mm-hmm. and uh, I think not anybody, not everybody can play that position mm-hmm. and uh, it takes a special person to play there. Mm-hmm. So uh, to coach them, it, mm-hmm. uh, they may need a little bit more empathy. That might be a nice way to put it, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I think that's the case that uh, if, if uh, most goalkeepers do make mistakes, we want them to make mistakes because we, we that's the way we learn yeah. as a goalkeeper. Right. Yeah. I, and yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll give you, a, for instance, look at Allison over the last mm. few games with Liverpool, who's uh, who struggled a bit with his kicking and his decision making. But yet on Tuesday, he came up with one of the big saves that actually pushed them forward, I think, into, mm. into bigger and better things. So, so again, we, we make mistakes to, to make ourselves better. And, uh, and not everybody, hopefully, hopefully coaches will see us for that. Right? I wish I'd use a coach because that's the thing I learned too late not to dwell yeah. on. The crazy things yeah. I did, but I regret it instantly. 
but it, it's a given. I mean, I look yeah. at our record. I think we 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 actually rose up the table that year. Yeah. yeah. Like, Quite well. We were, I think we were up. I think I'm going to go with fifth or sixth in the table at that time. Mm-hmm. And we lost three games in a row, one nil. Yeah. And three weeks in a row, we lost one nil. And it dropped us down to like 13th or 14th in the table. It was, it's such a tight schedule, tight, tight, uh, tight fit that, uh, uh, even even a tie, like you look at look at Liverpool, all the ties they've had this year. Yeah. If they if you if they probably won three or four more games, they're right up around the top as well. But Absolutely. again, that's all it takes, right? Absolutely so. right. Yeah, it's fine margins, and that's the situation Wrexham are in. It is at the moment, really, where it's so tight. Yeah. You can go either way. So honestly, Don, it's been an absolute privilege to speak to you, and thank you so much for joining us. I uh, wish you well, and like I said, we'll we'll put a word in with Ryan to get you on that private jet over for this first game. Well, my wife's all excited. She says, oh, maybe they'll bring you in as the goalkeeper coach. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's hope our current goalkeeper coach isn't listening, but nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> the other side, you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio. So there you go, Don Ferguson. One of the nicest blokes you could ever hope to meet. What, what a top man. And it was a real delight to chat to him. And he is, of course, the precursor to Ryan Reynolds. So, again, thank you to Che for stepping in and uh, doing such a magnificent job. Next week, we should be back to normal. Next week, we might even get to do that cursed section on players we should we got rid of too soon, which we've been trailing for two weeks and are not able to do. Um, so, fingers crossed, eh? There's only one way to finish Dragonheart anyway, isn't there? It's Jay Harris, Hollywood Sandoff. This is Jay Harris, and you're listening to Dragon Heart Radio. <laughs>